mountain passed, some 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the balls and the Ashtoreth and they serve the Lord only. Then Samuel said, gather all Israel at Mitzpah and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day in Mizpah. And now the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah. The lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord, our God, for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mitzpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mitzpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, we continue through the book of Samuel. And last week, um, we, during a Resurrection Sunday, we saw the Ark of the Covenant return to Israel after the Philistines took it in battle. Guided by God um, on a cow-drawn cart, the Ark ends up in a small Israeli town, but not just any town, thanks Y Plumber for reminding me. It was a village of Levitical priests on the outskirts of Israeli territory where it is taken down from the cart and sacrifices are made to God. But folks started looking at the ark in ways that God told them not to. So 70 men, the Bible tells us, died in what was a small town, so it was a big impact. And afraid of God, more than convicted of their sin, they send the ark away. And it's a way for safekeeping, safe from the Philistines, safe from the Israelites. And our reading tells us that 20 years passes and the people of God start to miss God. You see, during the 20 years, the, the Philistines seeped and further and further into Israelite territory and worse, further into the heart space of God's people, bringing in pagan lifestyles and, and even pushing out and suffocating, if you will, the life of God in the souls and lives of his people. With no place to go, pressed down and disgraced, and how they had come to live that way, they lament, the Bible says, for God. They feel sadly and badly about what life without God was like. And Samuel lets them know what we must also embrace today. To repent. And that that repentance turning and turning back to follow God requires nothing short of an act of God. And three ways I want us to see today. First, God reveals our brokenness or sin. God goes after our brokenness. 
And finally, God comes into our broken lives. God must act to reveal, go after, and come into our broken lives. A major and first issue with most of us when it comes to struggling in this world, when it comes to getting right with the Lord, as some of us like to say, is that we don't know and can't know what we don't and can't know, right? God must actually act to reveal, reveal our brokenness. And that happens sometimes as God silently moves, is the word I want to use, on and in our lives. Look back at chapter 7, verses 1 through 2. And the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated his son Eleazar to have charge of the ark of the Lord. From the day that the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim, a long time passed, the Bible says, some 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. We see, right, or, or we, we can tell from the results, at, at the very least, that God was moving in the lives of his people, even though they don't see it happening, and he doesn't tell them how and that it's happening. You see, when they send the ark away, he allows his people to experience life as if he really were gone, leaving them to their own abilities and, and devices, which results in Philistines crossing into their lives and oppressing them. God moves through second and third causes and consequences to reveal their empty and broken lives without him. I remember we had that first Nintendo game system growing up. And, you know, that's when kids, you know, we had the Atari. They had a few games for that thing. And, um, but that Nintendo took it to the next level. And kids stopped going outside. We were what? Some of those kids. And my mom, you know, those were the first group of generation of parents who had to deal with fighting with the video game, right? The, the death stare of the video game, the, 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 the deafness, right, of, of the video game. They call in your name and you can't move. And she tried yelling and screaming and boys and, and can't you hear me calling? And then sometimes our mom would come to this point, and I've shared this with you, where, where, where she, in her calling, she would trust her prayer life, right? She would trust the move of God, right? And she would say this, I'm tired of yelling and screaming. I'm going to give y'all over to God. And those were the times God would move, Right? It wasn't always against you. That, that was the one concern, right? That God's going to, you know, the other shoe's going to fall, right? But, but for your personal desire, God would kind of grease the tracks. He wouldn't stop it. He, he would give you what you want, right? Like our addiction to Nintendo and boy, Mike Tyson's punch out and Russian attack were too much. And one day that Nintendo overheated and we heard this pop sound. And it was done. And mama just smiled. It was an act of God, y'all. It was a move of God to wake us and make us miserable in our brokenness. Not just because we lost something, but we were left seeing just how hooked we were. And wow, it was like the sun came out and we went outside. We got to see how messy the room was and that we hadn't washed much like we should. And how much we had missed and destroyed with mama and our brothers and, and just how burdened and, and trapped we were. Even if at the time a nine or ten year old couldn't say all that or quite express it, we were left to lament to long for righteousness, right? To be fixed, to be clean, to be in right relationship when that thing popped, if you will. 
When God moves on and in our lives th- through circumstances, y'all, and relationships and resources and, and health problems, our, our straight up emotions and mistakes and the results of our mistakes and mind and soul, whatever it may be, he is sort of, he's behind this, he's like the behind the scenes director. Not necessarily, necessarily the author of our sin, of course, uh, of some, but some of the drama in our lives so that we will feel and experience life in the way that makes us long for more than we or any other human being or, or any worldly thing can actually fix. It's that deep down feeling where we kind of long for him and need him. When God moves, we feel and know we are missing something and that something is a someone. It's the Lord. But more directly, the Lord reveals our brokenness through his word. So after the people begin lamenting, after feeling the burdens and and backwash of, of something not being right in their lives because they are not right with God, Samuel shows up. Right After a sabbatical from national leadership, maybe he's taken more of a local post for a while. But do you remember what the Bible said about Samuel a couple of chapters back when he first called Samuel to judge Israel, to lead Israel in ministry? It said this, just to remind you. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba, that's, that's a whole distance there, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And then it says the Philist, when the Philistines capture the ark, it says it, 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 the word of Samuel came to all Israel heard that? And 20 years later, after a whole lot of God-directed drama, therefore, in the lives of Israel, verse 3 says this. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you're returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away your foreign gods and the Ashtoreth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the land, out of the hand of the Philistines. The word of God came to Israel through Samuel. Y'all see that? About a month ago, our 18-year-old son started feeling bad. He had aches. He had some phlegm in the chest, cough, yes, fever, sore throat, some nausea. Well, y'all know with the COVID-19 stuff, we were all afraid up in there. So we took him to the doctor and they had to even sit in the car and all, you know, and they could they wouldn't let him in the office. And the doctor did a test and it was the flu, right? I never thought I would say, woo, just the flu, right? right? But then he still was not getting better as soon as we wanted. And a few days after the doctor's visit, they said, oh, we sent another test. He's positive for strep, right? Again, praise God, strep, yay, right? In this season, right? Go get some antibiotics, right? Rest, stay still, liquids, and all that kind of stuff. Here's the deal. We were well aware of the symptoms that were causing him grief and pain, but we didn't know what exactly was causing it. We didn't know exactly what was wrong with him and wrong in him and what to do exactly, right? To do next exactly and how bad it was and what was truly at work within his body. We would have never guessed he had two things wreaking havoc and doing their thing in him. As a matter of fact, we didn't understand enough about the symptoms of COVID-19. We might have thought he had that. All we saw was he was miserable, having lamentable, if you will, symptoms. God has given us his word, the Bible, right? This thing, this the same old thing. Some of y'all saw it on grandmama's nightstand or or in the hall somewhere, right? In the the hallway at a house, right? Just just a relic. But do you understand that, that God has given us his word, the Bible, to reveal with more accuracy and direction where and how we are messed up so that we can get a diagnosis and prescription for what is hurting and harming and breaking us. 
This is so important because lament without the word of God will simply, hear, hear this now, lament without the word of God, right? Diagnosing, directing us will end up simply being what we call godly sorrow, which is an okay start, but it will eventually mean you and I will be stuck controlling our story right? And creating the diagnosis ourselves and ultimately coming up with our own fix, our, home, our own home remedy. And we know at home remedy gets you a lot of mess, right? It, 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 to make us not appear or look or feel so bad about what is in us, we, we typically will, will cover it up. We, we treat the symptoms through behavior change, doing better, or, or some of us love positive thinking. Just don't think bad about it, and it won't be so bad, right? Or doing good things, or, or help, you know, helping your neighbor and doing this, or, 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 or going on a trip somewhere to, to help somebody else, or, or pretending it's not there, because that is all we can do. Repentance is not about how bad or good you can act. Or make yourself feel. Oh, I'm so sorry, crying and falling on the ground. Those are maybe some symptoms of repentance, but that itself is not repentance. Or how hard you believe that things are better. Or how hard you believe that you're so bad. Repentance is God, is God going surgical with his grace in our lives as an act of God in our hearts. Like the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing, it says, to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints, of marrow, and hear this, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So it makes sense what Samuel says here in verse three, when he says, if you're returning to the Lord, with all your heart. He didn't say with all your behavior first. He said with all of your heart. And when you do that, then start doing this, this, and this. Because you'll do this, this, and this with a right heart. Our second point, right? God goes after what makes us broken in the first place with him, others, ourselves, and our world he, by going in, right? Samuel is saying repentance, right? Turning back to the Lord will require that you have heart surgery, soul surgery, right? Open heart surgery, that, that you be sick and believe you are so far gone that you can't exercise your way into feeling better, right? You, you can't you can't take enough symptomatic drugs to make yourself feel better, right? That you will have to actually give your heart to God and let God take it to either give you a new heart for some of us for the first time or go back to work on the new heart he has given you. To not just get the surgery, that, that's half of it, that's the begin, that, that's the end of it, but to actually by faith give and entrust your life to his care, direction, and then heart surgery. Understand then that when Samuel says, return to the Lord with all your heart to the Lord, he is saying, let God take and get into all of your deepest desires. Right? Let God have all that drives you, hear, hear me, to need and experience control and power and production and comfort and pleasure and security and hope right there. And where we have found that place where we have found and imagined and manufactured and even dreamed up what seems like pretty good stuff about God in our lives, beliefs and actions that may have given us relief and pleasure and success and privilege, right? You know, in the place where the magic happens of the human soul, emotional and physical survival happens. Now, you may have heard it said that the heart is like the human soul, the heart is like an idle workshop, right? But Samuel, the Bible is saying, let the Lord who already knows and sees 
and shows it to you, right? Let him into the workshop and showroom of your heart, right? Let him go to the stuff you've produced to make yourself feel good and secure and successful even in this world. Let him, God, have his way in a place where he may not like what's going on in there. I don't know about you, but that is no small thing. Let God, trust God, admit to God. And sometimes he does it through, through what? The word, the sacrament, the worship, uh, the, the community of faith, the ministry of the gospel and churches around us. But w- w- to admit God in these different ways, possibly, to admit to God, right? And admit God into my deepest and darkest desires and disturbances and diseases, like, like stuff a high deep within. Let God into the economic and, 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 and emotional resource center of my life, right? Into what has been the most valuable or some of the most valuable assets for me to have in this hard world to start quarantining and treating me. That's scary, because of our greatest fear, even about worldly and regular surgery and treatment, right? We're afraid that'll be true. Maybe we're afraid that it'll be true if we give God our hearts, right? Here's what we're afraid of. That we will not come out the same after God, by his word, through his Holy Spirit, goes after and in your soul and heart. <laughs> that there will be damage in side effects Letting God be surgical in your life. You know, I ministered to an older, older congregation with older members when we were in Baltimore. And the one thing um, I, I remember that, you know, having come from more of a younger congregation and, and going to a congregation where there were people uh, who we would call the golden saints, right? Um, was they wanted to avoid surgery at all costs, right? Because and, 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 they knew the side effects could limit them and leave them disabled, right? Take away some of their abilities. And some of them, to make them walk with a cane, right? Or, 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 or like a hip replacement is one example where you go in and you're sure. It's like when I would talk to these folks, you're sure that you're not going to come out the same. You're going to have a cane. Everybody's going to see it. Everybody's going to see you getting old, you know, they, they, they will not be able to walk. In. Oh, I remember one of our elders, um, Mr. Quarles. He, I think he was one of the first, if not the first black pharmacist in Maryland. Well, he, he, he's gone on to be with the Lord now. But members would come to him with their medicine and he would look at it with one major concern. What are the side effects? <laughs> will it hurt me? I, I remember one of the greatest fears of, of some of our older members is that they would, you know, lose their mind right? That they would have to be in a nursing home. And sometimes they felt like that the medicine would do it. It would make them sluggish, right? They wouldn't be mentally as sharp. They wouldn't be able to live independently. Will I, will I no longer have the same ability to think? Will it make me get old? Will it make me get sick? Is it worth it? For some of them, it seemed like they'd rather go on the glory to be with the Lord than have to live without the abilities and the mental sharpness, Right? And when it comes to God acting to redeem our lives, will there be side effects? Will it harm us? And the answer is yes. Yes. God is going to go after your brokenness and you will not be the same afterwards. Brokenness, you know, sin in our lives, the, the, the havoc sin has caused in our, in our lives and in our bodies and in our hearts is a tricky and sticky word. Because it doesn't mean that things in your life are not prosperous. It doesn't mean that things in your life aren't awesome right now, aren't good, aren't beautiful. Like you don't have the biggest house you ever had. You don't have the best car you ever had or you don't look the best you ever did. No, it's not saying that. It may mean that things are good and awesome and beautiful in the eyes of the world. Brokenness means that all that you have bad and even good and useful in this world may not be righteous, holy, or good enough or best for for you by God's divine assessment and diagnosis. And repentance gets sticky. And 
as some folks say, greasy, right? Because it begins to, when you, when you enter God's, when you give your life to God's hands to, to change things within you, in your heart, it begins to pull like, like tape on, on, on your leg, right? When you, you, or, or something, when you, you feel that feeling when you take a Band-Aid off, right? It begins to pull on and get on everything in our life and world that we've set up. Look at what Samuel says again in verse 3. Listen carefully though. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away, hear this? Then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. And so verse four says this. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth and they serve the Lord only. The Baal and Ashtaroth were idols of fertility. Oh. The male and female pagan couple. And the way the idols look would reflect that they were gods of fertility. I'll just take it that far who when they were, let's say, consummate, brought prosperity to the land. This was like, just so you understand, this was like that era's, in, 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 in era's um, economic philosophy. It was the accepted marketing, right? It, it, it was, have that, having those Idols was, was, was saying, you know, we are following the, the Amazon and Facebooks, right, in, 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 of our day. We're, we're doing what it takes to survive. We're giving into the system that is most prosperous around us. And with God appearing MIA for 20 years, the Israelites have become infiltrated by Philistine culture and religion, which was big time. It was successful. It was leading. It was cool. It was an acceptable way to do life. I mean, we see it, it's kind of hard. No one has an Asherah pole in their front yard, right? But we have perfect grass, right? There's other things we have that are clear. We got cars we can't afford out there, right? That's, we, we driving around, sometimes with the window down, you know our people, so they see us in that nice car. You got a nice car with air conditioner, but you can have the window down and the stereo system up so people can see what you got, right? Maybe that's just my thing. Looking around, who see you, right? Asherah poles, Baal poles. Some of us wear clothing so people can see what we got. Baal poles, Asherah poles. And when you would ask those gods for help, right? It would involve, let me say, to be modest, all kinds of central activity around the worship of these gods, right? In other words, doing it like the Philistines in the world did felt good, right? It made you happy. It was rewarding. It was fun. It was pleasurable. And so God ruined the party, right? But to return to the Lord would mean in that era, just like now, sometimes looking stupid and silly and poor and ghetto, right? And country and weak at first and not feeling happy or in control all the time. It might have even meant and mean suffering or coming out not so self-sufficient and self-confident or prideful or bold or any of the things that were shackled on you as the golden child. Imagine all the things some of us who consider ourselves the golden children of our people and generation or ethnic group or race or family, the first one to go to college, the first one to have a stable job, the first one to own a house. What if all of those things God has to put a dent in he has to sever in order for us to come to him. Understand that the stuff that drives us and the way we've begun to work, right? What if God was taking that away? It might even mean suffering, right? And not being that kick behind corporate man or woman with swag. Maybe not as beautiful and desired. Because so much of what we have become and what drives us is from a heart that is alienated from God's goodness and blessing and built and fed ourselves from those things to such a degree that when God cuts 
things free. Get this. It's, it's, it's we've built it so close to our hearts that when he goes to grab our hearts, it rips and it pulls and it cuts as he's calling and pulling our hearts, right? We've stuck our hearts so strong to what we have. When he pulls our hearts, it pulls our stuff. It pulls our lives apart. It makes me think about, and, and, and it causes what? Real loss and real heartbreak. It makes me think about a laptop or phone that has a code set by someone else on it. You got to get in. Can't find that person. You got to, what they call it? Jailbreak that thing, right? God is going to heartbreak us to get into the programming, right? And it will and make, may make us because the biggest things in our lives fall apart and, 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 and things that we have encoded, God's going to decode. You may have to leave that boyfriend. <laughs> you may have to return to and give more than you could or think you should to that marriage. You may have to leave that abusive but somehow beneficial situation or relationship. You might lose some power or money or place in this world. As God cuts the strings that you've put in place, he's cutting the, 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 the connections and kind of vines around your heart that you have allowed to grow. And as he gives you a new heart to actually make some of the cuts and yourself, right? To agree with him, to say, yes, Lord, take it. Yes, Lord, cut it. Yes, Lord, pull it. Yes, Lord, rip it. Because I trust your comfort in it. It might even, like this COVID-19 quarantine has done for a number of us, cause our hearts to connect and find new things and new ways. Let me tell you what this looks like though. It's about needing and wanting the things of God but with a divine crutch or cane or walker. Because God works so that we will never walk or want to walk alone or on our own without him and his grace again. Because Somehow, like it did here in this passage, success in the world and in ourselves was not worth, y'all. Imagine coming to a point with success and comfort and security and kind of hiding our fears and wearing masks to kind of cover up, right? Imagine that not being worth the glory of being weak to have the Lord to lean on. All because he went in after things that separate and break us from him. And so look at the response of God's people in, in, in verse four. It says, beginning at verse four, so the people of Israel put away the bales and the Ashereth and, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, gather all Israel at Mitzpah and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mitzpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mitzpah. Now this SWV song redone by Kanye West has made it into my sermon twice in a month's time, right? But hear the words one more time. We get so weak in the knees, we can hardly speak. We lose all control. Lord's spirit takes over us in a daze. It's been so amazing. It's not a phase. We want you to stay with us by our side. We follow your light. Your love is so sweet. It knocks us right off of our feet. I can't explain why your love, it makes us weak. We throw up our hands and surrender to what you're doing. He's changing our lives in such amazing ways. Whenever we feel your presence, we can't stop moving. It's a feeling that we want to stay because our heart starts beating triple time with thoughts of loving you on our minds. We stand on the word, believe it's true that the cause and cure is you. Your marriage, your thought life, your parenting, your fears, your desires, your failures, your successes, your finances, your employment status, and how we handle and respond to that, to, to that are waiting for us to take our hands and control off of them and to have that surgery to say, God, we sinners. I've sinned in this. 
I'm not doing this right. I know I'm not. I'm not going to try to blame this person. I'm not going to try to say it's them. Lord, it's me. Here I am for God to supernaturally and powerfully go in and after us to let him do what I would describe as in-home, in-heart care of our lives. To come in when and where we can't. Because this is what this whole thing is about, right? That God would come into our lives. Our last point here, come into our lives with power and grace. Now we talked about the side effects of God's going into our hearts and it made the Israelites look weak and act weak. Like they didn't go get their weapons, they went to church, right? They didn't go get a new kind of sword. They said at one point, go get the lamb. A lamb, this ain't no time to eat, right? And so to, and to the Philistines who, let me tell you, had worked hard for 20 years to gain a foothold and possess not only the land, but the hearts and lives of Israelites, this repentance thing could be a financial and political disaster. Sound familiar? Huh? Us evangelical, evangelical church? We have so belonged to certain political groups and certain entities and certain agendas, right? we're, We're enslaved by it. But imagine if God's people and the people in the communities with God's people, as the gospel is brought forward, begin to lose some of the idols, right? Of being financially this or politically this or, or, or Christians in power in this world in a way God never intended. Let me tell you what happened. What would happen? Philistines had worked hard. These God people were working for them, right? It it was happening. It'd be disaster for the Philistines if the Israelites rise up and turn back to God. Not go to war. They can't beat him, right? (laughs) To turn back to God. Look, Look at verses seven through eight. What happens here? Now, when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mitzvah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. Yeah, they should have been. They got beat a lot. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines, right? Samuel, you ain't no war guy. Samuel, you ain't no political theorist. Samuel, you ain't no great leader, right? Samuel, you're not the second coming of Martin Luther King Jr. Samuel, could you just cry to God for us? I'm not going to take long a lingo on this point. But when they, the Israelites were weak, foreign towards and with the Lord, guess what? The Lord was powerful against all those things which his people would typically and normally lose, fall, or give in to. Do you see that progression? In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul struggling with, with something inside and, and outside in his world and, and struggling with desires and setbacks greater than his personal ability to handle said this. God told me, he says, my grace, God's grace, is sufficient for you. For my power, God's power, that is, it may, is made perfect in weakness. When we are weak in our repentance, expressing our sin, acknowledging our, our, our failed attempts at getting better and making things better, acknowledging that we were sucked in and taken. We wanted it too. We so badly wanted it, right? We wanted prosperity. We wanted to look like other people. We didn't want to have to be the people who grew up and had the same struggles in their marriage and with their kids. We, we trying to be different. Admitting ourselves, God, and admitting to ourselves that God, Lord, I need your diagnostic and surgical care. Then, do you hear that? Then we will see him. Not that he isn't already at work. Then we, by faith, will be able to see him be strong in our lives, either to protect our faith from being taken or to actually take on and take out the struggle. 
but it will not happen. In ways that build our faith, if we are struggling with the Lord to handle our own fallen world, <laughs> we spend our time, our money, our effort, everything we have to beat the world within and without, sometimes trying to out-moral it, like I said, out-politic it, or out-buy it, or out-I'm-more-right-than-you it, or out-Facebook-message it, or, or out-run it, or overcome it, or stay above it, or stay below it, or, or keep away from it, fussing and complaining and being angry and harboring guilt and bitterness and trying to blame shift, or try to rise above or, or escape it. We got stuff that, like Israel had, is decades-old living up in us, some of us. We've been living in the same mess with the same mess all our lives. And it isn't because, you know, some things, you know, you struggle with and, and you realize that you, you, you face it with a weakness that says, Lord, I'm struggling with this. And as I struggle, I keep repenting, Lord. I keep coming back to you, Lord. But some of us struggle and continue to struggle in ways we shouldn't because we are trying to beat it ourselves. We're trying to be better than it ourselves. We got stuff we're trying to outwork and fix the guilt and the pain when the way out and up is down and God coming in to repent. I have a, I do have a spiritual mentor. Some people call it spiritual director, that kind of stuff. I do um, online mentoring uh, with somebody. And I just read one of the lessons in the discipleship material I'm going through. It's a lesson on humility. And I'm like, as a pastor, I don't have a chance. A pastor in America up here talking, church growing, doing this. Doing, I, I, I ain't never going to be humble. I'm already, I came in this thing proud. I mean, I came for pride for reasons. You know, I, I, I love to be the center of attention. I like to be the man. I mean, automatically, not that God didn't call me. I believe he really did. But oh my goodness, I got all kinds of problems. And I was reading this. I'm like, and then I read the thing about being uh, stuff on marriage and being a father and a man and a friend and a brother and finances and all kinds of vices. And know what I came out thinking? I'm not a believer, right? I'm just good at church. I've been faking it all my life. Am I a believer? Because I thought the sign of a believer is, is being able to overcome this thing by doing all the right things. And you know, I know better theologically, but sometimes you keep struggling with it in real life. Those bales and Asheroth poles go up and you're like, yeah, I'm doing it on my own. And, and you then you begin to realize you lament because you realize, wait a minute. I'm not a believer. I'm not acting like one. And, and I remember uh, my, my, my spiritual mentor saying, yeah, because the sign of a believer is not overpowering or beating your brokenness on your own or being good enough for God to accept you or good enough for you to think you're a believer, but returning to God for grace over and over where you get an affirmation of his love and power for you, which is based mainly on what he has done and less on what you can do. What? There's a new freedom in that. I can just live in God's victory? Is that what a believer is? That we rest on the finished work of God in Jesus Christ? Really? And like the Israelites, after God is one, and because God is one, I can actually chase down my struggles in confidence. Like I can take hold of what Jesus has got given me and live in the affirmation that God really loves me. That's what being a believer is all my life. And I continue to struggle. We'll continue to struggle, y'all. We'll begin to think being a believer means we beaten everything. When it's about believing, God by grace has beat everything and is desiring to change us and love us where we are to bring us where he would have us to be, right? 
Look at what happens next. Um, so I'm not going to read it, but it, 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 the, the Israelites, I mean, God thunders against, they, they do the lamb and they pray out to God, to God, and, the, and God thunders against the Philistines and the thunder causes such a stir. The Philistines get confused. Some people think they fought each other. They, they thought something was going on and then they're basically defeated, right? And the Bible says this. The men of Israel went out from Mitzpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Beth Car. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mitzvah and Shen and called it name Ebenezer. For he said, till now, the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. Y'all see that? God gave them the victory against the Philistines. So his people could get by receiving the victory, receiving the spoils of what God done only, hear this, only as God did it, where, where they were free then to chase down the Philistines. And the Bible goes on to say that the Philistines never came back into Israeli territory. They didn't go away. No, they didn't stop challenging them. No, God didn't obliterate them, but he secured the hearts and lives of his people forever. See, see, God's people got more than a circumstantial, temporary and worldly victory. And that's what sometimes we want. They got the affirmed promise that God would keep those who have been made weak for him and dependent on him and repentant and returning to him and trusting him to fight their battles by grace. You know, the central battle against this COVID-19 pandemic is not happening in a lab. It's not happening in a government building through a stimulus package. It's not happening by opening up the economy or even flattening the curve. The central battle is being waged and won every day in the hearts and lives of people by the Lord himself in ways they can't claim victory. We don't see that because we are looking at the wrong things and idolizing and trusting and hoping in the wrong things. Let me let you guys know the COVID-19, it ain't the last virus or pandemic we're probably going to face. Viruses, world wars, all kind of stuff will come and go. Even the American way of life, even the United States of America itself. but the work of being reconciled and loved by God will remain beyond what we can or have done or can secure for ourselves. The message paraphrase of, of the passage of, of a passage in the book of Ephesians says this, now God has us where he wants us with all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play a major role. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. We have a God who doesn't just show, on, show us what's wrong, tape us up and send us back in to do our very best or our very worst, but who like the lamb sacrificed by Samuel goes and gets beat up for us. You see, what we don't see is, but the lamb represented Israel getting beat like they should. They shouldn't have beat the Philistines. Come on, man, like a shield, that lamb took the beating and outdoes and undoes the powerful hold of their enemies and spiritual bullies have on their lives and our lives and all of the anxiety and fears that come with it from outside of us. And he welcomes them into the victory, not to, not to enjoy him as our father for what, to enjoy him rather as our father for what he has done, to live in the blessings chasing down our struggles, besetting behaviors and sin patterns. 
in their fear, Israel pleaded to God and Samuel, pleaded to God and Samuel offered a burnt offering, a lamb. And God came through, y'all. Do you see that? So that we can be in relationship with God where we get to be his children and he can be our father, not temporarily, but eternally. Grace is the only way. Grace. An act, right? A, a, a work, right? <laughs> act and work of God, right? Not us. Is the only way we can live as God's people in this world. Jesus came like that lamb as our lives cried out for help. And he took all the wrong things about our hearts and lives and false hopes on him and he was killed in battle, if you will, but rose in victory so that you and can, as Samuel says, put our hearts on him, open our hearts to him, open our lives to him that he may come in so that we can come to him and go out and in this world led, covered, and backed by him. To be a believer, to live as one who trusts God, takes an undeniable act of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need your direction, but we need more than just direction. Thank you for your word, for it works through your spirit to go surgical in our lives. Take our hearts, Lord. Help us to offer them to you. Take our lives. We need in-home care. Some of us in our homes right now. Help us not to blame shift. Help us, Lord, not to find a better way out, an easy way out. Help us to say, I'm broken. <laughs> I ain't got a chance. We ain't got a chance. Unless you come. Unless you change. Unless Christ came and died. Give us that faith. Do your act, God, we pray in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.